This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there. This is Chris Cayola, writer, director, and producer of Dirt, an audio drama. Welcome to this bonus director's commentary episode. I'll use this time to go into things like where and how specific sound effects were created, what inspired certain scenes or character interactions, the recording process, both for background sounds and actors' voices, and in some cases, how things changed during production from my original script. And, I guess, pretty much anything else that comes to mind that I think might be interesting. For this commentary episode, I've chosen Chapter 8. As I've said elsewhere, I absolutely love every episode of Dirt. But Chapter 8 is really special to me because it's where, while I was building content for Season 2, I really started to feel like I was getting back into my groove as a producer and sound designer. A lot goes on in Chapter 8, yet strangely, it was probably the easiest one for me to put together. From the dialogue, to the background sound effects, to the music, everything just seemed to flow into place on the first or second try, which in my experience doesn't happen very often. So, let's get started. Call Kim. The chapter opens with Joseph driving away from the small town of PL, not far from the Pacific Coast in southwest Washington. Hi. Hey, can I call you back in a bit? Uh, sure. In real life, PL really does factor into my family history. My grandparents lived there briefly as a young married couple, and my dad, their oldest child, was born there. They didn't stay in PL for very long, unlike Carl, who's a lifer. But I thought the tie-in would be fun to use for the story, even though the story is, of course, completely made up. As he seems to do after nearly every milestone in his treasure hunt, Joseph calls Kim to debrief after finding a treasure box in PL. Only this time, when Joseph needs her, Kim has her hands full with a family event at her kid's school. 
found another one. Up to this point, Joseph has gotten pretty much whatever he needs from the other characters in the story. And people pretty much do whatever he asks at work. So here, with the mystery starting to consume Joseph at a deeper level, I thought having Kim be busy would serve as a good reminder to Joseph that he isn't always at the center of everyone's world. Even though, when Kim tells him she's been too busy to text and then asks if she can call him back later, he presses on with his news anyway. I'd forgotten all about it. You should look it up. And when you get home, you still have your copy? I do, somewhere. I've been meaning to dig it up since you... Okay, shh. Just a minute longer. Mom's talking to Uncle Joseph. I just love the way that Kim alternates between speaking to Joseph directly during the call and appeasing her kids on the side. Jeannie Leslie, who plays Kim, delivered the lines with such skill, talking directly into the mic when addressing Joseph and then turning her head to the side to address her character's kids. She totally got into it, and I think it resulted in a realistic-sounding phone conversation with a very busy mom. Yeah, I haven't read the note yet. I had to get out of there pretty fast to get away from... Oh, crap. What? On the director's commentary episode for Chapter 4, I mentioned glowingly how great of a resource freesound.org is. Both the whoop-whoop and response vehicle noises and the idling diesel engine sound came from there. If you use freesound.org, just make sure you adhere to the attribution license requirements and drop them a donation while you're at it. Gotta go. The lights from the vehicle parked behind me are so bright, I can't see anything in my mirrors except the dark outline of somebody walking up to my door. Thought you could get away that easily, did you? Joseph's intention was to get away from PL both with a treasure box and anonymity. Carl, what are you doing? You can't just pull people over for no... What's that? Your fish and wildlife truck? I had a reason. You were doing ten over. He got his first wish, but not the second. How did you find Carl that? seems like the kind of guy you want to be careful with, especially if you value boundaries. Carl is played by the wonderful Aaron Patterson, who, trivia note, is married to Jeannie Leslie, who I mentioned a moment ago plays Joseph's sister, Kim. Aaron created the voice for Carl. And while Aaron has lived in Seattle for many years now, every once in a while, in Carl's dialogue, you can hear a little bit of the accent that Aaron grew up with in Mississippi. So what else do you know about me? Well, I know you own a big company and are kind of a big shot. I mean, Google makes that easy enough to see. Wish I could take weekend trips to Bali. <laughs> the fishing I could do there. So what? Dirt is an audio drama, which spans all kinds of genres. But it's also a science fiction story. Nowhere does that come out more than in the strange behavior of the vintage metal detector that Joseph is lugging around. I saw what that thing did. That old coin master led you to the spot that you dug up. That ding-dang detector pulled you. I don't know what you mean. Oh, come on now. I saw the look on your face when it happened. So tell me, what kind of stuff are you into? UFO technology? And Carl being Carl, he's fixated on the detector, like a fish chasing a shiny lure. I wanted Carl to be more or less the opposite of Joseph. Carl is from a small town with smaller town values. 
and he's a bit of a conspiracy nut. He's someone Joseph would probably never associate with. But, as fate would have it, Joseph might, or might not, have to associate with Carl. Good night, Carl. But wait, wait up. Maybe I can help you. Washington State and the Pacific Northwest have always been home to conspiracy lore. From UFO sightings, to Bigfoot, to extreme secrecy at the Hanford nuclear site in central Washington. There's no shortage of material for people to speculate on. While Carl is open-minded to such things, Joseph is more of a skeptic. Yet he's having to confront some strange truths about the detector, as well as events surrounding the mystery of the letter from IMO that he doesn't understand. I wasn't planning to head home anyway, but now that Carl knows where I live, and who knows what else, suddenly, everything feels unsafe. Joseph is also massively protective of his privacy, not only because of his tech celebrity career, but because of the strange treasure hunt he's now engaged in. So when he finds out that Carl knows all about him, it sends Joseph further into a paranoid tailspin. And while he loses Carl, he also literally gets lost. I drive about a quarter of a mile farther down the dirt road, away from the paved road, and kill the engine and turn off the headlights. <sighs> the area around PL is indeed lonely when you get off the main roads. There are logging roads everywhere that go deep into the woods and, being so close to the coast, it's often overcast and dreary, especially in the fall when the story takes place. It's similar to the one in Wapato. I really wanted the narrative to feel like a tightrope balance of Joseph being put in situations by forces just beyond his control and Joseph putting himself in situations that he has to face up to or try to get himself out of. Let's at least see where I am. I open up my phone's map app to figure out how to get back to the freeway. And that's when I realize, of course, there's no cell service. From a sound design standpoint, as I mentioned in the Chapter 4 director's commentary, all of the car sounds you hear in dirt were recorded in my own car, a Subaru Outback. I imagine that Joseph has a much fancier car, but the Outback worked well for the sound effects I needed. I spent a couple of afternoons driving all over my neighborhood in Seattle with my Zoom recorder so I could get the engine accelerating and decelerating and idling noises that I needed. And for realism, I even took special care to record the engine cooling off after one of those drives. And if you listen closely, you can hear that happening at the moment when Joseph first turns off the engine, earlier in this scene. And now I'm lost. And then there's you. What is the deal with you? The last couple of minutes of the scene when Joseph gets the idea to see if the coin master can direct him back to the freeway, was probably the most problematic couple of minutes in the chapter, at least at first. Not so much from a sound mixing standpoint, but rather from a showing versus telling standpoint. I wanted to convey everything that was happening through action instead of narration. Basically, not over-explain. My first draft of the audio did not have Joseph saying, maybe, direct me out of here. And when I had my beta listening group of three to four people, which consists mostly of family members, by the way, 
listen to the scene, and give me feedback. It was clear that not everyone understood what was happening here. They knew Joseph was stuck in the woods and started his car and was trying to get out. Okay. Which way should I turn onto the road? But the role of the detector wasn't totally obvious. How about this way? So I added in that line just to provide a touch more clarity in that moment about what was really happening. (laughs) This scene is crucial for further establishing Joseph's relationship with the metal detector and what the detector seems to be able to do. Ha! So thanks to some great feedback and a small fix, I think listeners were able to move forward in the story with that knowledge and understanding. Whoa! In my early 20s, when I was visiting Vivian in Portland one time, I asked her So having made his way back to the freeway, Joseph is now heading to his next destination. Here he narrates a memory that is really his grandmother's memory. And in real life, it's based on my own grandmother's memory. She described a wild, surging river that flowed without restraint through the stark desert landscape. A crashing, whitewater beast, especially in places like Celilo, the Dalles, and Kettle Falls. The raging water sound you hear is not the Columbia River, unfortunately, since there isn't a section of the river that flows naturally like that anymore. drown out voices 100 feet from shore. The water you hear is actually a recording I made of Snoqualmie Falls, which is about 25 miles east of Seattle and is a sacred site to the Snoqualmie tribe. It's also a big tourist destination, and I chose to record there because I knew I would get some muffled talking amongst the raging water noises, which fits perfectly with the theme of Joseph's narration during this segment. I also recorded the Spokane River in downtown Spokane, which goes through a series of plunging falls. But as I listened during editing, the Snoqualmie River recording, it just better matched the soundscape that I was going for. The Columbia River Gorge, which Joseph is driving through at night, forms a good portion of the border between Washington and Oregon. And it's a place that is deeply rooted in my own family history. It's a beautiful place if you get a chance to visit. The geologic history of the area is pretty wild. The Columbia River flows from east to west, from the desert, through the mountains, and to the coast, finally emptying into the Pacific Ocean. And Mary Hill, which is a real place on the river, is located on the drier east side of the gorge. For decades, my family gathered there for family reunions, since it was more or less a central meeting point for those coming from Portland, Seattle, Yakima, and Spokane. And it was also the site of the memorial for my own grandfather, Arvo. I book a room at a motel that has seen better days. But it'll do for tonight. So you're probably wondering how I knew to go to PL and why I searched near a water faucet. The crummy motel that Joseph stays in at Biggs Junction is a motel I've stayed at myself. 
The background sounds you hear all throughout these scenes, from the semi-trucks barreling down the interstate to the relative quiet of the park and cemetery above Maryhill, were all recorded on site with my Zoom recorder. I could have fudged it all with recordings made closer to home, but it just felt like a nice touch to make the sound environment as real to the location as possible. Imo ushered his band students outside for a school picture. Yet before the cameraman could snap the photo, Imo noticed smoke pouring out of the window of the electrical room. While I do paraphrase some of Arvo's stories in the podcast, such as the stories in Chapter 6 about sailing to Westport and hitchhiking from Aberdeen to Seattle and back for a music lesson, the tuba fire story that Joseph narrates as he's getting ready for bed in the motel in Biggs is totally made up. As is, the places I've been that comes in the next chapter, Chapter 9. For someone who doesn't live on hunches, I seem to be on a hot streak lately. I'm hoping the hot streak continues in the morning. Not far from here. In season two, I wanted to continue the story device of the dream sequences that started in season one. But in season two, the dreams move into different territory, far more personal territory for Joseph. I'm in my childhood bedroom. It's dark, except for the nightlight plugged into the wall near me. From a sound design standpoint, the woodworking and wooden stair sounds were all recorded in my dad's woodworking shop in the Spokane Valley. My dad is the one sawing and sanding and clamping and hammering in the background. We did many takes of all these sounds using my Zoom recorder placed in different locations in his shop, including in a room above the shop, so that the sounds would have a quieter, muffled quality, as if heard from above. The lights in the house are still on. I walk softly down the hallway, invading a nighttime world that I know isn't meant for me. But right now, the thing I want to see most in the world is in the basement. We find out later in season two, during a conversation between Kim and Joseph, that Joseph's and Kim's childhood bedrooms were right above their dad's shop in the basement. And they would often fall asleep listening to their dad tinker in the shop late into the evenings below them as they fell asleep. All of that imagery was inspired by my own memories of listening to my dad work in his shop below my bedroom at night in our childhood home. The thing I want to see the most is right inside this door. All I need to do is open it. The transistor radio sound and the cuckoo clock and the violin playing are all there to add a kind of surreal landscape that for me reflects the surreal nature of dreams. <gasps> My dad had an old transistor radio in a leather case that I remember well that he would use to listen to music in his shop. The cuckoo clock is the same style of clock that was in my grandparents' home for years and would chime every hour, even in the middle of the night. And the violin, well, that is actually an old recording of Arvo, who was a violinist in the Oregon Symphony Orchestra, in addition to being a music educator, playing his violin at a family gathering in Portland 
from when I was very young, in the 70s, that my older sister and my cousin happened to capture on cassette tape. It's now Thursday morning in the story, and Joseph is feeling the pressure of the big meeting on Friday with Molecular back in Seattle. But it's clearly not stopping him from pursuing personal needs instead. Call Kim. He chats with Kim while driving across the bridge back to the Washington side of the Columbia River. Hi. Hey. You're going over to Mary Hill. Yeah. Right. She properly guesses where he's going, and she reveals to him that the costume jaywalker meme is growing in popularity, even to the point of people she knows dressing up in the same costume for Halloween parties. Looks like you're the hot trend for Halloween this year. Seriously? Don't worry. No one pulls it off quite like you, though. Great. Oh, I found my copy of Imo Stories last night. The places I've been. Who knew? So, are you going in order? I mean, first PL, then Mary Hill, then... Whoa. When Joseph pulls into the Mary Hill State parking lot, he's stunned to see Antonia there. Whoa. Yeah. Hey, I'm at the park now. Let me check in again in a bit. Um, yeah. Bye. Antonia gets out of her white truck and stands next to it. There's clearly some history there between these two that isn't very well known to us yet. And while it's hinted that Joseph is pretty okay with them renewing their connection, it's hard to know where Antonia stands on the matter, or why she's at the park when he arrives. From a sound design standpoint, I wanted the truck that Antonia drives to feel older. Maybe a bit of reflection of life and work on a farm. I didn't have access to an old truck when I started mixing these scenes, but my old friend freesound.org came through again with some great recordings of older vehicles. I'm just surprised to see you. You drove down here this morning? Yeah, it's not far. Hmm. Don't you have a business to run? Stuff to, I don't know. Don't you? I love how when Joseph asks Antonia why she isn't back home running her business, she gives it right back to him. Antonia has some sass. I guess that makes two of us. So, do you need help getting anything out of the car, or...? I was actually just going to walk around for a bit first. It's been a while since I've been here. Oh. I can just wait here in the truck until you need something. <laughs> no. I mean, you came all this way. Might as well join me? Okay, then. And if you didn't already know, all of the music in Dirt is original to the podcast. We walk from the paved lot onto a wide expanse of mowed grass. The lawn is green, despite months of intense heat. Toward the river, tall, leafy trees grow in groves, especially near the water's edge. This short piano tune, which I recorded in GarageBand, just felt like the right mood setter for Joseph and Antonia walking into the park together. There's a little bit of magic and a little bit of tension to it. Probably the first place that Antonia and I 
wherever at together. It's so weird that he's doing all this. As I mentioned, the background sounds you hear in this scene and in the next scene were actually recorded at Maryhill State Park and at the small cemetery above the park. We have family who live in central Oregon, so whenever we drive down there from Seattle, Maryhill and the town of Biggs, where Joseph spent the night the evening before, are stops along the way. It was on one of these recent drives to Oregon that we stopped for a bit so I could capture the sounds. At the ramp over there. They spent most of their lives up on the farm, obviously. But this was kind of like their other place. Huh. They bought plots at the cemetery years before they died. It always feels weird to me that people plan ahead for that sort of thing. (laughs) Same here. Joseph is pretty reserved when they first start talking and walking. But as the conversation and the day go on, he begins to open up more. Have you been to the cemetery? Just once, a long time ago. Hmm. Where's it at? It's up the hill from here. Not far. Megan Morales, a friend and co-worker, is the amazing voice behind Antonia. I think in this scene, when Antonia and Joseph are alone together in person for the first time in years, since they were teenagers, in fact, Megan did a superb job of capturing that feeling of interest and apprehension. And as I said, it's not clear to Joseph why she's here, or what her role might be in the mystery surrounding Imo's letter. Megan really got into the role and took direction so well, but she added so much of her own thoughts and feelings and independence to the character as well. put things in perspective. Okay. I'll drive? Sure. You know, when I got to your farm the other day and got to that security gate, when did you have that put in, by the way? About five years ago. Ah, this little bit of throwback to Chapter 3 I thought was nice to include here just to tie up the small mystery of how Joseph's keyword at the security gate, Lucila, ended up working, and why. I mean, I only had a 1 in 10,000 chance of getting it right. (laughs) I think it also tightens the bond between these two just a teeny bit more when we find out here that Joseph remembered and offered Antonia's middle name to get into the farm. I was already out of sorts. And then when he asked me for a keyword, I fumbled around for a bit and thought for sure I was a goner. But then the only thing that came to mind that wasn't a dumb guess was your middle name. But I didn't remember until a second ago that that was your grandmother's name, too. A view to die for. So this cemetery, located above the Columbia River, with a sweeping view of the surrounding landscape, is a real place. Three highways converge here, plus some frequently used train tracks that run along the river. So there's kind of a persistent background hum to the place. The gate sound isn't from here, though. The Maryhill Cemetery does have a metal gate, 
but the sound it makes while opening and closing just didn't work very well for this moment. So I found and used a different gate recording instead. Mel, hey, what's up? Quite a bit. You alone? Yeah. Okay. Joseph is expecting a full rundown from his assistant, Mel, played by the awesome Jesse Brown, concerning work matters, as well as a background check that he asked her to run on Antonia's father, Salvador. She doesn't disappoint. I was going to do that. Angela's basically taking over. I mean, I'd say she's doing it respectfully. Everyone knows you're out for personal reasons, and so they're trying not to bug you, her especially. But, you know, nothing brings out initiative in people like a perceived leadership gap at a time of crisis. I think they like her. The Germans? Yeah. There's a lot of information conveyed here. It advances the plot. I recorded Jessie saying her lines for this scene in a spare room in my house, which is where I recorded nearly everyone who appears in Dirt. The trick, of course, was getting her voice to sound like it's on the telephone and being heard in Joseph's left ear. So, the next thing. Turns out we're not the only ones who want the traffic cam footage from Monday. My contact at Lincoln tells me the police are after it now, too. The police? Apparently, the driver It's really easy to go too far with telephone filters and panning effects. I tried many different levels for each, until I landed on what felt like the right sound for her voice. And because of the media frenzy, her lawyer is taking advantage of it. It'll probably be in the news later. But also, not only are the police obtaining the footage, they're aware that we asked for it already. I think our story is holding up, but I'd say we're pretty freaking under the microscope now. Oh. And Jesse delivered all these lines so great. She really owns and captures that unique combination of cool, bossy, stylish, motherly, highly capable, and loyal qualities that I was going for when writing Mel's character. There's an RA Hastings on the board of Memphis Labs. Isn't that the company your sister works at? You mean as a partner at? Yeah. What does Kim know? Joseph takes in the news that Mel shares with him, bit by bit. But things take a downward turn when it's revealed to Joseph that his sister, Kim, might have a connection to the Flores farm that goes beyond simple family memories. In Joseph's heightened, semi-paranoid state, it unnerves him to hear this. Joseph already has doubts about Salvador and might have doubts about Antonia, too. Troubling. And now, doubts about his sister are creeping in. Much of season two is about Joseph's trust, or growing lack thereof, in the people around him. But that's not all. I was kind of hoping it would be. Now, this is just my interpretation of what I'm seeing. But we both know I'm pretty much right about these things. Toward the end of this phone conversation, things take an even more downward turn when Mel tells him that a drone was flying over him in Seattle when he almost got hit in the crosswalk but it's clearly there in all of them. Sorry about that. Any luck? Yeah, they're right here. After the call ends, Joseph walks over to Antonia, who has just found the headstones for her grandparents. 
But something isn't right. Antonius seems to be looking around for something, which Joseph then also realizes is the sound of a drone hovering overhead. What is that? A faint buzzing noise. And then, barely visible against the blue expanse, a tiny black dot. We both stare up in the air and then exchange glances. She obviously sees something on my face because she says, Whoa, you look worried. I really wanted the end of this chapter to be a defining moment for Antonia, where we learn just a little bit more about her through her actions. I don't know for sure, but it's possible I'm being followed. Without a word, Antonia quickly walks out of the cemetery. I can see her looking for something behind her driver's seat. I look back up and see the black dot hovering high overhead. From a sound design standpoint here, the drone and the rifle sounds both came from freesound.org. But the drone crash landing sound is actually something I recorded in our backyard with my Zoom recorder. I filled up my laptop tote bag with several kitchen utensils and then threw it up into the air so it would make a cool impact sound when it landed. Whoa! I should note, no kitchen utensils were injured in the recording of this sound effect. How did you... We should get out of here before someone comes looking for it. Well, that's the end of the director's commentary for Chapter 8. I hope you found this bonus episode entertaining and informative. If you have any questions about any behind-the-scenes stuff, feel free to ask on Twitter. We're at Dirt Audio Drama. Stay tuned for more bonus content like this in the near future. And thank you very, very much for listening to Dirt, an audio drama. Dirt, an audio drama, is a production of Studio 5705. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. Are you emotionally exhausted? Do you have strong feelings about authoritarian power structures? Have you ever stared up at the night sky and felt tiny and alone? If so, ask your doctor about Wolf 359, the award-winning sci-fi audio fiction podcast by Kinda Evil Genius Productions. Side effects may include strange genetic experiments, unreliable AI systems, the potential discovery of alien life, and toothpaste. Find Wolf 359 wherever you listen to podcasts and visit wolf359.fm to learn more.